Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. To obtain a tight outline of today's message, you can go to the show notes or details page of your podcast platform. Today we'll be looking at places, how God uses places to bring about change in our lives, but also how God transcends places and he is so much bigger than any place here on this earth and how we will one day look forward to the place that he has prepared for us. And now, here's Tom with a new message called Places. encourage you to turn to the back of your bulletin so you can follow along with the passages and the theme this morning. You might also turn to the first chapter and first verses of the Bible in Genesis 1 as we'll begin there. I'm talking about places. Let me begin with this uh, story about two friends, two guys that were driving along through Kentucky one day, and uh, they were approaching the, the largest city in, in Kentucky, and they began an argument about how you actually pronounce the name of that city. And one of them says, well, it is Louisville. And the other one says, no, it's, you know, I've heard a lot of the renters say it, it's Louisville. And they argued back and forth, Louisville, no, it's Louisville. And back and forth and back and forth. Well, finally, as they drove into the city, uh, the one guy just says, you know, listen, we're going to stop first place we can. We're going to go in and we're going to ask someone who lives here in this city how to actually pronounce the, the name of the city. So they pulled off in a fast food uh, restaurant and they walk in and the guy says, you just listen, you, you watch. Uh, they're going to say Louisville. And, um, and they walked up to the, the guy and they said, you know, we're having an argument about how to pronounce, you know, where we're at. And, and uh, we just want you to help us out. Uh, you're a native here. We want you to say very slowly and carefully how to pronounce uh, this place where we're at. And the guy just kind of looks at him strange and says, well, okay. He says, Burger King. <laughs> By the way, I had two roommates in college that were from Louisville, and, and you say it Louisville, like kind of got a mouthful of food, and it's two syllables, okay, Louisville. But anyway. <laughs> well, no matter how you pronounce the name of uh, that city or certain places, God has chosen down through the ages to include some of those places in special ways within his plan. Genesis 1 is foundational to everything in the Bible and, frankly, everything in life. The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, most of the rest of the first chapter goes on to describe how God created certain things each day, certain aspects of his creation. And then we get down to the climax in verses 26 through 28. 
where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created places and animals and things and people. And all the Bible makes clear that God is above and beyond the universe which he has made. Yet from the very beginning... God has been and is and will be intimately involved with his creation and with specific places on this planet. And thus, places are very important. Places are everywhere. <laughs> Matter of fact, anywhere you go, you are someplace. And every place is unique, and that's another wonder of God's magnificent creation you think about it, in a story or in a movie, there is a setting. In other words, a place which affects the plot. Life does not happen in a vacuum. Places affect life's events. Places. Places matter. So I want us to look this morning at some of what God teaches in his word about places. And the first is this, and this is a fascinating thing if you just think about this statement. God uses places as his stage. The Lord God is not a mere mystical force floating around in some kind of spiritual nothingness. God deals with us where we are, where we are physically and where we are spiritually. He operates within that context. God created the heavens and the earth and he is still Lord over both. So I want you to look for a few minutes with me in some examples in Scripture of God's involvement with humanity. How involved God has been with human beings. God, we learn from Genesis 3, walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Quite fascinating if you think about it. He chose a man named Abram and led him from a place called Ur to a place called Canaan. And in Genesis 28, I want you to turn over there. In Genesis 28, we meet Abraham's grandson, Jacob. One of the most famous incidences in uh, Jacob's life. Starting in verse 10, it says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, <laughs> he stopped for the night before, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. A certain place, an ordinary place, well, then the Bible tells us, we're going to skip over it, he has a dream. And he sees angels descending and ascending, you know, between heaven and earth. And we have a, had a song decades ago about climbing Jacob's ladder and all that. But then in verse 16, after that incident, after that dream, it says this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. <laughs> and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? <laughs> This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. 
He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. He named it Bethel because Bethel meant house of God. A place, an ordinary place, had become quite important because God used it as a stage. If you go over four more chapters, you have, to me, the other very fascinating account from Jacob's life. He was uh, rather fearful about something that was going to take place the next day when he would see his brother he hadn't seen in many years, his brother who likely might try to kill him, he thought. So he's kind of panicky about this. And when we read in Genesis 32, Jacob is alone by a stream. And an angel, or an angel of the Lord, or possibly God in a human form, comes down and wrestles with him throughout the night. And then in verse 30, we read this. It says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Peniel meant face of God. So Jacob's life was never the same. It was a new beginning. It was a common, ordinary place on planet Earth, but it became important because God had used that place as a stage to accomplish something. Now, you don't have to turn back there, but in Genesis 22, we see Abraham being called by God to, it sounds at least, sacrifice his own son Isaac. Now, we know God has a bigger plan, interrupts the process, but he tells him to go to a place called Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his own son there on an altar. Well, God provides a substitute to die in Isaac's place, and there's all kinds of symbolism for the rest of the Bible in that. But approximately a thousand years later, King David was ruling Israel. There was a plague on, 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 um, on, the, on the Israelites because of David's sinfulness. And the plague was stopped at a place called the threshing floor of Aranah. And David goes on to build an altar there at the threshing floor of Aranah. Well, now all that sounds like it's unrelated until you open up your Bible in 2 Chronicles. You don't have to, I'm going to put it up here in a minute. But several years later, his son Solomon is about to build the temple. And it says this in 2 Chronicles 3.1. One of these verses you can read over and over and over and pass over the significance of it. It says, then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, where? On Mount Moriah. Where the Lord had appeared to his father David, it was on the threshing floor of Aaron, all the Jebusite, the place provided by David. So an ordinary, common hill became one of the most important locations anywhere on the planet because God used it three different times as a stage to teach us something. That brings us to when Jesus came here and we see the incarnation of Jesus, God putting on flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we realize that Jesus was born into our world, this world, this place, amidst farm animals around Him. He worked in His Father's carpentry shop, a place. He walked the dusty roads of Israel from place to place. He sailed on the waters of Galilee and even walked on those waters one time. Jesus was baptized in the very same river that God had once parted centuries before for Joshua and for Elijah and for Elisha on three different occasions. Jesus taught in places like Jerusalem and Capernaum and on a hillside. Until one day, 
Jesus laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins at a place called Calvary. Folks, God uses places as his stage. And that brings us to something that makes it very, very personal. God's involvement in our lives. You see, God touches our lives at specific places. Now, we could all share places that God has used as a stage in our life, but since I'm up front, I get to do talking. <laughs> there are three places that really stand out in my mind. Oh, well, actually, four. I'll tack one on after, after I've mentioned the three. Hillsborough Church of Christ, uh, where I grew up. There was a portion of that building called the chapel, and it was there in that room in 1968 that I committed my life to Christ, was baptized into him. 1974, I preached my first sermon in that same room. 1980, I was ordained to the ministry in that same room. That place was something God used as a stage multiple times in my life and in my spiritual development. Next place was a place that saddens me somewhat now, uh, a place in Cincinnati, in the Price Hill area of Cincinnati, where I spent four of the most significant, vital years of my life uh, on the campus of what was then Cincinnati Bible College and Seminary, 1975 to 1979. Been many changes uh, through the years, even when I was there, uh, and now, sadly, the school's no longer even there. But a third place that God used as a stage in my life was, ironically, a hunting lodge in Austria. At least it once was a hunting lodge in Austria. And some people in that part of the world and, and with the mission I was associated with believe that the royal family of Austria at one time had used this as a hunting lodge. Later at one point in the 1930s and 40s, the Nazis <laughs> occupied that place briefly. Later on, the Russians occupied that same uh, lodge. It later became a pension or a guest house until finally in the 1970s, a mission called TCM International uh, bought that mission and thus my involvement with that place uh, in Austria. I spent two life-changing summers there. My life's never been the same because of how God used that building as a stage in my life. So therefore, I have in my office uh, a, a, a shelf um, that, at, if you start at the bottom down here, that's a, a picture of that chapel. I've put this picture up here before uh, where I once went. The brick there was part of the old, old original Hillsborough Church of Christ uh, that's long been gone. The next shelf up is the campus at, at CCU and uh, the classroom building that was torn down years ago, and I have part of the stone from that one too. Uh, because again, I, I want to always be reminded that God used those places as stages. And then you can't really see it up on the top shelf, but those are a picture of, of House Edelweiss in Austria where God used that as a stage in my life. Now each of you, each of you has special places that God has used as a stage to teach you and to prepare you as a follower of Christ. And for many of you, one of those places is this plot of ground on Bethlehem Road where Adams and Brown counties come together. Some of you were raised here, uh, spent all your life here. Some were married here. Many of you were baptized here. Um, this place becomes my fourth <laughs> uh, stage uh, where I've had my first ministry and my first baptisms and frankly now my entire <laughs> located ministry uh, to this point. But God has used this place as a stage in our lives. Here, people have found teaching and guidance and comfort and encouragement. Here, people have prayed and sung praises. Here, people have developed lifelong relationships. 
Here, people have found true life in Christ for 181 years, or actually 161 since the first 20 years were down the road a little ways. <laughs> but the point is, this place, this place is just a place, <laughs> but it's an important place. All four parts of it, or five if you count the pavilion out there now. And today, we begin a new chapter with the 1986 structure on the other side of this wall. But we need to keep all of that in perspective. As important as this place is, we need to remember, secondly, that God transcends places. 1961, a Russian cosmonaut named uh, Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, uh, famously, sarcastically remarked, and I think probably at the behest of his communist uh, <laughs> overlords, uh, made this comment after his trip in space. He said, I traveled into space and looked everywhere for God, and I could not find him. And I think, that's kind of strange. You know, I've traveled in 50 states and 30 countries, and I've found God in every one of those places. <laughs> but you know what? God is not confined to a particular location. Not this place <laughs> or any place else. Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul walks into the city of Athens which is filled with idols, false gods, and, uh, all altars, and all kinds of stuff. It says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Okay, he's trying to find common ground with, to talk with them. For I, as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown god. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Here it is. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He doesn't. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. See, unlike false gods made of stone and wood, the Lord God cannot be locked into a single place. He does not dwell in things. He is not bound by things and places. Matter of fact, if you'll flip over to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah 7 in the latter part of the uh, Old Testament. It's a fascinating account. The people had fallen away from God, and God was about to destroy their city, including his own temple. And they're thinking, God would never destroy the temple. He might do other things, but he'll never destroy the temple. Uh-uh. It's his, it's his house. <laughs> Jeremiah 7 opens up with these words. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. <laughs> See, God was not going to excuse their evil actions just because they went into his temple once a week. So he goes on in verses 5 through 8 to call them to change their lives, their habits. And then we read this in verse 9 through 11. He goes, Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come 
and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. He asked, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. And now notice what he says in verse 12. He gives them a warning from history. He says, go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Shiloh was where they had once had the temple or the tabernacle of God. He says, verse 13, while you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your fathers. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your brothers, the people of Ephraim. You see, God was saying how they lived was what mattered, not merely doing some religious rituals in a holy building. And God had taken away their other places of worship in the past, and God says, I can do it again. I can remove them. And guess what? God did. Solomon's magnificent temple, God allowed it to be totally destroyed. Zerubbabel and the Israelites came back from, from exile and rebuilt another temple. That one was destroyed later. Then finally, Herod, at the, to try to get in with the Jews, built this magnificent temple that was the one Jesus taught him when he was there, and God allowed that in 70 A.D. to be totally, completely destroyed. Folks, God's temples in Jerusalem were special places. They were holy because they were devoted to God and his purposes, but the temple was still just a building just a building. Here we meet in our church building. Building right over on the other side of that wall was built in 1860. 1986, we built that little building we just remodeled. 1993, we moved into this building here. In 2003, we moved into that building out there. And each part has been set aside for God's service, and that makes it special. That makes these places important. But this is not God's house. God does not live here. You cannot confine him to a building. God will continue to change many lives in this building, but God transcends this place. He is not dependent upon these facilities to finish his work. We learned that 10 weeks uh, last year during 10 weeks when we were not meeting in this facility, but we found other ways to meet. We learned that in 1986 when we had a fire in the original building and we had to meet in a gym in Winchester for three Sundays uh, when we could not meet in our own facilities. God transcends places, any place. And that brings me to my final point. God's purpose transcends places. The Mountain Mission School down in Grundy, Virginia is celebrating their 100th anniversary. And they put together a, a really cool booklet. I finally finished reading that this week. Uh, and a lot of amazing pictures. They just go decade by decade. And there's some fascinating things about the history and the past presidents and everything else in here. But I got to the next to the last page just yesterday. And it says, our campus over the years. And then it makes a statement. The buildings have changed, but the mission has not. The buildings have changed, but the mission has not.
All four of these buildings have changed in, in great ways over the years. But our mission has not changed because Jesus has not changed his commission. In John chapter 4, Jesus is at a well talking to a Samaritan woman. There's a lot of uh, issues on him doing that in that culture at that time. But in verses 16 through 18 in John 4, he confronts this woman about some things going on in her life that were not the best. And she tries to change the subject. So in, in John 4, 19 and 20, here's what she says to change the subject uh, from what she was uncomfortable with. She goes, sir... Uh, I can see that you are a prophet. Uh, our ancestors, and she's talking about her people, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she attempts to change the subject, and then Jesus responds and, and transcends, really, her, her reply and says this. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. <laughs> you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers God seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. In other words, the place is not what's most significant. The heart of the worshiper and the mission of God are what really matter. So what is God's purpose? Well, let's look at it in three ways. On your point A, God's passion is rescuing people. God's passion is rescuing people. That's why he came. It's why Titus 3 reminds us how God in his grace took us from our sin and restored us. It's why Ephesians 2 describes God's grace and our rescue from sin. So any church building is ultimately a rescue mission. It's not just to be a comfortable meeting place. And therefore this building and that building across that wall is not just for us. It's a preparation and staging ground for us to reach other people with God's message of grace. That's all these buildings are. So God uses us and he uses these facilities to rescue people from hopelessness and to rescue people from empty lives and from harmful addictions and to rescue people from biblical illiteracy, which is rampant in our culture today, and to rescue people from skepticism and cynicism and relativism and to rescue people from secularism and the cancel culture, and to rescue families and marriages in crisis. See, we are God's rescue team, and this is our base of operations. And we need to never forget that. But also God's purpose is something else. Point B, God's goal is building lives. God's goal is not building buildings, it's building lives. Now, he may build buildings through us and through our help to accomplish the building of lives, but that's the ultimate goal. And God does that in four ways. Number one, through worship. Worship is where you and I go into the presence of God together to gain perspective. We do that through music, through the Lord's Supper, through prayer, through the Word of God. It's where we see how big God is. 
and how small we really are. God builds our lives through worship. But secondly, God builds our lives through discipleship. Discipleship simply means that we grow to become more and more and more like Jesus progressively the longer we serve him. Matthew 28, we know sometimes and focus on the first half, <laughs> but in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, in verse 19 and 20, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's the main verb in the, in the Greek, make disciples. <laughs> now part of that is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And another part of that is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you after they've given their lives to Christ. And he goes, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So our facilities here are to be a transformation chamber. <laughs> this building is a transformation chamber for our lives. That building out there is to be a transformation chamber for our lives. Those other two buildings are to be a transformation chamber for our lives. And the goal then is described in Colossians 1, in verses 28 and 29, when it says, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's why, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. <laughs> to this end, Paul says, I strenuously con contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So through Bible lessons and through sermons and books and videos and Bible discussions, God wants to build our lives through discipleship. But also, just as important, number three, God builds lives through fellowship. Now, I'm not going to take time for us to turn or even put it up here from Acts chapter 2, but immediately after the, the incredible sermon on, on the day of Pentecost and the 3,000 baptisms, the very next verse Acts 2, 42 into the end of the chapter talks about how they shared life together. They shared life together. Matter of fact, when it mentions those four things, the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship in verse 42, it goes on and spends four more verses about fellowship. You see, our conversations and interactions before and after classes and services can play a huge role in our growth and discipleship and remaining faithful. I believe that through the years, through the decades, Bethlehem has been very strong in this area. I can still remember, you know, how it just seems like in every stage of my 41 plus years here that people have always hung around. <laughs> always many people that hung around and just spent time together after services. The 1980s, I can remember when we just had the building out here in front, and especially on summer evenings, uh, you know, we had a, like a box foyer over there. I mean, there was room for about five people to be comfortably, I think. And, uh, and I still remember on Sunday nights, especially in the summer, after the service, we would hang around out in the yard in the parking lot, like, till after dark, uh, just talking about life and sharing life. We then built this building. We had a bigger foyer. That's now the back part of the auditorium there. Then we built that building. We have a bigger foyer, and we have a gym uh, to spill over into. And now this new fellowship cafe area where I hope a lot of conversations happen and a lot of laughter and a lot of crying and a lot of sharing and a lot of prayers where people just interact before and after services and, and for special events to share life together just like Acts 2, the early Christians. But there's a fourth way God builds our lives, and that's through service. In other words, you and I 
are both going to grow more in our faith by actively serving God in some capacity. See, as we contribute our time and our effort for this mission that God has left us on, this rescue mission, we grow through serving. I like how Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, the body, that's us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and this last phrase is so important, as each part does its work. In other words, as I do my part, you contribute your part, no matter how big or small we may think it is, that service helps us each to grow individually, and it helps us all to grow together as a church. Our buildings here are a training ground for service. And there are lots of ways, different ways, every one of us can serve. I always remember the story from, from Europe years ago of the, a cathedral. At the very beginning stages, they were building this cathedral. And uh, someone walked along and passed by, and there were some workers were out just doing what some people say were menial tasks. And he says, what are you doing? And one person says, I'm clearing rubble. And he asked somebody else, what are you doing? He goes, I'm mixing mortar. And finally he asked another guy who's doing something in the dirt. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. You see, he, he, he viewed it as the, the, the end product. This is what we're doing. Whether we're doing concrete or, or you know, mixing the mortar or we're clearing rubble out of the way or, or we're... Uh, putting stones on top of other stones, we're building a cathedral together. And I hope that's how you and I will always view what we do here when we serve. We're building lives, we're building the kingdom of God together. Yeah, we may be mowing the churchyard, we may be vacuuming in here, we may be working in the nursery, we may be helping serve food at an event. But we're building lives, and we're building the kingdom of God. And no service within that church uh, framework is unimportant. God's passion is rescuing people. God's goal is building lives. And then these buildings have just become tools. But finally, God's invitation to all of us is to a new place. And I'm not talking about that new room on the other side of that wall. God's invitation for all of us is to a new place after this life. Jesus, one of the last things he said to his followers in, in John 14 was this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Notice how place keeps coming up here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. To make that place possible for us, Jesus submitted to indescribable suffering. God chose an ugly, barren place that reminded people of a skull to perform the greatest act of love and justice in the history of the world. See, it was at that place outside Jerusalem that Jesus died for our sins. And nearby that place was a garden with a tomb. And Jesus' bloody, dead body was laid in that tomb. But then something incredible happened in that place 
Jesus came back to life. But that victory was what is important and not the place. That sacrifice for Jesus was what was important, not the wood he was sacrificed on. That resurrection was what was important and not the stone that was moved. You see, our hope is built on what Jesus did in that place outside Jerusalem. And those events in old Jerusalem are what make possible our entrance into what the book of Revelation calls the new Jerusalem. Eternity with God. So this morning, here we are in this place with an opportunity for God to renew and redirect our lives. I always think these, kind of, these times where you kind of set aside or dedicate a building or some, some aspect of our, our ministry together can become so important because we, we can make it also a time where I rededicate myself and you rededicate yourself. So in this place, this place on Bethlehem Road, near the line between Adams and Brown counties, <laughs> we have an opportunity today to let God redirect our lives and renew our lives in our service, in our commitment. And how you and I respond <laughs> could very well determine the place where we each spend eternity, but it could also help determine how a whole lot of other people in this area spend eternity because we've committed ourselves again to the mission of rescuing people for him. I hope that today, in response to this message, we can respond with the statement at the bottom of your outline. I will make a new beginning in this place as I continue my journey to the place that really matters. I'm looking forward to that place that really matters. I hope you are too. A place that does not have the flaws and the junk of this world. A place Jesus has made possible through what he did at a place near Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.